0: This is Ken once again Talking to you from uh, The Baby Sally podcast (laughs) I think (laughs) The title gets shorter Every week I think I've dropped the talks part now I think we're just down to Baby Sally Baby Sally podcast, that's good enough Um, It's a Sunday May 17th, it's an absolutely Beautiful day And I'm sitting in a place uh, New to this podcast I have recorded from here before uh, but uh for this one it's the first time. It's the Rosetta McLean Gardens. It's along Kingston Road and it's a lovely park overlooking Lake Ontario, like high up on the bluffs. And uh they're just it's just full of flowers and plants and beautiful, beautiful trees and gazebos and uh benches all along the walkways. So you you get a lot of families or older people strolling through and um I had gone first to Bluffers Park, and that's a mistake on a holiday weekend, and it was full. There was not a single parking spot. The police were turning cars back. Uh, That's why I love it so much during the winter when it's just me. But uh, anyway, I I turn it over to the, the others, and I thought, well, if I just go a little further down the road, I'll find this beautiful garden. So here I am. I've been enjoying listening to other podcasts, and uh, listening back to a previous episode of this one, just to catch where I've been, where I'm going. And uh, being a Sunday, I am still wearing my Sunday pants, which I talked about a couple of episodes ago. This must be episode eight. And I have to say one thing that I'm I'm happy about, and that is I'm not ashamed anymore of these podcasts. It's... It's not that I was ashamed of Dixon Jeans but it was definitely for a different kind of listenership and not one that I would comfortably share with people and I have no qualms at all about telling people about this podcast if they're interested I mean it doesn't matter me to me at all if somebody finds it interesting or not interesting but you certainly have no reason to find this offensive and I'm going to do my best to keep it that way I will uh, avoid people. Uh, I (laughs) I was out with a friend Saturday or Friday night at the Only Cafe, my favorite bar in all of Toronto. And this is a good friend, uh, John, a a photographer who I'm trying to get to join me in church someday. Uh, John is also a listener to this podcast, so uh, he'll forgive me. Um, John said there's a pool out on betting when you're going to drop your first F-bomb. And, of course, that made me laugh. And John was a follower to the older podcast when I did the reputation. I, I was one of the people who could use the F word uh, skillfully and and uh, with great fun. But I see no reason yet to, uh, to drop them here. So let's get that out of the way and move forward. Uh, I'm conscious of the time a little bit because I'm trying to keep these podcasts around the 30-minute mark. Uh, unlike Dixon and Janes where it used to be an hour So it, 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 it Inhibits me just a little in that I, I'm not going to uh, Wander down too many odd Pathways I'm probably going to try and Stick to some kind of a theme uh, I doubt because I'm recording Now on a Sunday and I don't have any objects on my hand I don't think it'll be one of those Episodes where I Talk about the things in my basement But I do have to um, talk a little bit about the church service today. And again, some people might find that more offensive than my use of F-bombs, but uh, so be it. Uh, Greta tried something different today. She ran through or talked us through a scenario. I guess on the third Sunday of every month, they do sort of um, some different activities. And you're usually handed a piece of paper, and you know you're going to have to think and talk and do something. And uh, this time, she ran through a scenario of um, the um, what? What are your be- What's your best quality? Narrow it down to one. What is the thing you are best at? And I struggled with that a little bit. And in the end, I wrote down creating trusting relationships. I didn't know any other way to put it. And I, and I felt well, I am pretty good at that. And that, and part of it is is even through this podcast, people will think well, he's being honest and authentic and open. And he's dropped his guard. I I can kind of trust that guy. And most of my friends find me the kind of person they can confide in. So I I thought that fit kind of comfortably. Anyway, while we were doing that, Greta ran through this scenario based on World War Z. And it was, you know, everybody's been... The world is at an end. There was only one group of survivors living in the... uh, caves in the white cliffs of dover and uh, they've got to come out and and rebuild civilization and what it came down to uh in essence was are any of the skills that you wrote down you have going to be of any use for you in this new world and of course nobody was a doctor nobody put down i'm a carpenter nobody put down i'm a you know a, a handyman or i'm a i'm a you know a plumber, or I understand chemistry and can purify water, any of those things that would be skills that you would want to have. Nobody had them. We had other skills. So it seems like a losing proposition, but I think in the end, her message was to the effect that basically we are good people, the people who are in this church today, and we value something to do with... Uh, relationships, the importance of relationships, and that relationships are sacred, relationships between humans, so that you're just not into a a survivalist mode of of nobody cares, that somebody has to pass on the stories and and maybe be the good people. I, I don't know if that's exactly the point she wanted to get to, but that's what I walked away with. Um. One more thing on this, and again, it's because I have some people who say, well, I give up religion and, you know, it doesn't interest me, and I keep having to drive home the point, hey, this is something different. And my wife asked me how was the service today, and I'm very glad she was curious. And uh, the conclusion is it's more political than religious, and I think that's very important to keep in mind if you're uh, a skeptic or wondering why I'm doing this, and and so on. It's quite political. There's a time in the service where we're asked to speak out against anything where we feel the world is suffering, where there's pain, where there's, you know, that they need to be heard, and if we were going to pray or could pray, where we would. And um, I called out uh, the, uh, the free thinkers in Bangladesh, for example, and she picked up on that later on. Even knew my name, she said, picking up on what Ken said. That made me feel good, actually. Wow, I have a voice in this church. Another man spoke up about something that um, he had attended a, a lecture at the Toronto Library. by Somebody had written a book, and I didn't get the name, I'm sorry. But it boiled down to the difference between irrational, being irrational, and non-rational. Non-rational being necessary if we really want the world to change. and. Um, uh, that was a very interesting point. So again, the point being, there. This is a, a congregation full of intelligent, well-educated, well-meaning, interesting people, and you can strike up a conversation with any one of them, uh, and and be glad you did Of course, again, I, I'm just partial to um, Greta's husband, who uh, plays the piano every week, and uh, he's just there's something just joyous about him. Uh, He was wearing a nice shirt and a tie and then a pair of old blue jeans. And and I said, you sport those jeans so well. It it, it really, it it just made me happy to see him. And he's always smiling and always has a pat on the shoulder. And uh, that's just a wonderful thing. So, all right, I'm going to park church because this is not all about church or West Hill Congregation. I still put the message out if anybody is in Scarborough. And the irony is... Uh, when Scott came over and greeted me this morning, he saw I was on my iPhone. I said, I just got a message from somebody who said, if you're going to church this morning, let me know. Can I come with you? And I couldn't tell from the phone number, from the text message, who it was. And then it turns out, gee, the message came at 420 yesterday. If I'd picked up on that message, this person would have been able to join me. And for the whole time through the service, I'm thinking, who could that have been? I've concluded it was Doug Slater. But I haven't heard back to uh, to confirm that. I just didn't recognize the phone number. So, anyway, I, I will. And one of these days, what I'm going to do is just single out one particular Sunday, and say, "All right, I'm going." Let's see if we can get a few people to come, and give a little support to the West Hill United and to uh, to Greta and uh, and all the people there who are having to really state their case of why this is should still be and deserves to be under the umbrella of the United Church of Canada. Okay, I said I would put an end to that, so what's that leave us? It leaves us... Gee, that's only the 10-minute mark. Well, that's good. I've got 20 minutes. Now, I could have gone home or could stop here and get an artifact at home to talk about. I had a couple of other things. My six guns were one of them. Uh, A hockey puck from a 1961 hockey game... Uh, my pomade, even. But, uh, I daren't go there. Things from Nigeria, yes. So I think, you know, I'm going to do that. This this will be a two-parter. I might even connect them with a song the way I used to. I don't know. Or just a little interlude. But I am going to stop now and come back to you uh, for the remainder of the podcast with uh, a different topic, a different uh different thing I want to share with you, okay? So, uh, there we go. I'll be back in, uh, a very little bit. Bye for now. It's now Monday of uh, that same Victoria Day long weekend. It's a gorgeous day, and I'm parked uh, in the University of Toronto Scarborough campus, just up from uh, Kingston Road. It's a beautiful area. I I never come here. There are trails, and uh, I'm just parked at a huge baseball field that says, home of the Ontario Blue Jays. And there's a game going on now, but I thought... I'd sit in my car in the shade under a maple tree, (laughs) how very Canadian, and uh, finish off this podcast. Um, I went down to my bar today and said, okay, what am I going to share? And I took three pictures. I'm looking at the pictures now on my um, cell phone, my iPhone. One is this magnet that I got, and I'm going to save that for another time. It's a childhood story. I just love the picture of it. I'm just happy that I still have this magnet. Uh, you're probably thinking of a horseshoe magnet, you know, red and painted up that you buy in the five and dime. But no, no, this is special. Uh, the next picture is what would have been a explosive shell. Looks like the bullet end, or maybe a large caliber, huge bullet um, from World War I that I would have got from my grandfather. It would have been passed down through the family by my grandfather on my mother's side. And it's been turned into a cigar cutter But I'm going to save that too It's a gorgeous picture uh, And maybe when it's time to talk about My grandfather, I'll, I'll do that story But instead I'm holding in my hand now A passport It's a hardcover It was issued On December 6, 1945 From the Department of External Affairs Of course, it's Canadian Uh, the, um, it's valid for United States of America, United Kingdom, France, Belgium, and the Netherlands. That's what's written in the front. Now, 1945, we are talking, the World War II is just over. And, um, gee, it was only a two-year passport, too. Expires on the 6th of December, 1947. So I guess they were very careful about the issuing what I found interesting on the inside page, it's got my father's name, and where it says national, national status or nationality, British subject by birth. And there's a photograph of him, his profession, he was a shipyard manager, and that would have been marine industries, if they went by that name, I think they did, in Sorel, Quebec, back then. And, uh, yeah, there's the photograph of that man. So, let's see, he would have been 31 years old at that time, 31. Uh, so he had a heavy responsibility, a uh, shipyard manager during wartime. Um, and the question is, why did he go to Europe at that time? This was not a holiday. Nobody went for a holiday. What was he doing in Europe? And there are a lot of mysteries about my father. I've talked, i made reference to them on the, my former podcast, Dix and Janes, but uh, I felt I wanted to share a little bit today when this is the thing that came up. This one and his Expo 67 passport, which he enjoyed so much. Uh, so, immigration into Liverpool... December 19th, 1945. So he's in uh, Liverpool. So he would have sailed over, given a yellow identity card. And um, I see Southampton, 14th February. That must have been when he left then, 14th of February. Leaving, yes. Uh, And then inside, written in French, Monsieur, with his name. Uh, consulate-general de France, Alondra, Londres, the uh, French consulate in London, issuing him a um, visa to enter France. And they gave him a year, I guess. And it's dated. And I, I find that so interesting. Okay, so why France? Why did he go to London or to England and France? And uh, another immigration uh, page into London, nineteen January sixth, January ninth, forty six. Anyway, I, I'm sorry. It's just pointless reading out the dates. Uh, and then special permission to travel through the States via Port of Entry, New York. So I imagine, again, he would have got back on another ship, sailed to New York, and then from there to, uh, on whatever, was traveling from uh, America to Canada. So that's it for the entries. We have asked my father... Oh, hang on, can I get the phone? Sorry. Please, would you pick up the telephone? Please pick up your telephone. Ring, ring, bada ring, ding ding, ring, 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 Uh, Sorry, that was another courtesy call from... WestJet, thank you for choosing WestJet. I have never chosen WestJet. I will not swear, but I cannot tell you how angry I am at telephone spam. I don't know who got my number. Uh, Oh, I want these people locked up. However, however, let's catch our breath and forget about the people who call to see if you need your air ducts cleaned. That's my home number. And the people offering me vacation packages and so on. Which are all scams And uh, Get back to my father World War II He was a ham radio operator Had been uh, since his youth Um, And during World War II The story, the only information I have Is he wanted to enlist in the Navy And uh, wasn't fit. Had pneumonia when he was younger And was very thin And uh, was not accepted, but it's quite obvious to us he did something else. And I, I personally, I think he was just listening in as a radio operator to calls. There's a place not far from where I am right now called Camp X in uh, Oshawa, Ontario, where they trained uh, people in interrogation and parachuting behind enemy lines and so on. It was top secret. Uh, There have been books written about it and TV shows and... uh, Most of the site has been destroyed, and no one thought to preserve it as a historic uh, site. But I'm almost positive he would have uh, been there. Uh, He used to, according to my mother... uh, have to leave town sometimes and she would not be able to know where he was or how to get him but she would have a phone number in Montreal that she could call to somebody and that person would be able to relay a message to my father but she was not to know where he was. Of course he swore in the uh, swore the uh, oath of the official secrets and right up until he died in uh, 19, oh gosh was it 93? I was still in Japan um, we couldn't, uh, he, he couldn't share anything with us. The only story I ever had was that he was in London, uh, with a, a friend or a business acquaintance, somebody in London at, at that time I mentioned, and the person stepped out into the street, looked the wrong way, forgetting that traffic travels on the other side of the road in London and got hit and killed instantly by, uh, a double-decker bus and my father had to make the arrangements and I'm that was not why he was called over that was just one more thing that he had to deal with so it's it's a mystery and I, I would love to know sometime what what was it who can I ask where are the records kept of people's service records during the war when you're not really in the service um, and I <laughs> I guess I don't have anything more to say about it, other than I'm, I'm proud of my father. He he was a very private man, and I don't think he would have enjoyed uh, me talking about him on this podcast. Although this podcast, I think he'd be a little more forgiving than uh, my previous one. Uh, because I am consciously trying to be a little more thoughtful, a little more... Um, I, I've used the word restrained, but not in, in the bad sense of just not flying off the handle... Which I was ready to when uh, I got that Spam phone call What else Can I say about my dad He was a gun collector Oops He was a gun collector And I thought that was very very neat So I grew up with guns and I know these days A lot of people guns are just oh the crazies In America demanding the right But my father was a good Citizen he was a a mason, he uh, he was just basically a good person, um, and uh, but he loved he loved his guns, and he had a beautiful collection of rifles and pistols. So as a child, these are something we got to see and to handle, and I remember the the pleasure I took in just sort of watching him clean his rifles. He'd set up maybe a card table in the living room. We lived in this giant old house in Valleyfield, and uh, he'd have. I don't know. what you. I, I don't even know what this stuff was. Rifle blue or something you'd put over the barrel and other stuff for the uh, beautiful wood stock of these rifles. And then this great collection of uh, pistols. Uh, and did he have a Luger or not? I have the feeling he did. Anyway, as, uh, as we became teenagers and uh, the world started changing in terms of, you know criminal activities and breaking and entering and, and uh, stealing things from people's suburban homes. He decided he had to get rid of all of this. And, and I really wanted to save one gun as a memory of him, something that I could pass on to my children. my favorite, my brother called it the Annie Oakley Gun, but it was a Winchester 3030, which was you know a lever action. Uh, rifle, and it was a, a really nice gun. Uh, I wasn't too crazy about the big shotguns, but this uh, Winchester was nice. And I had, I, we had the conversation, and I had asked for that one. And he'd said, This other gun is more interesting. Um, now, forgive me because I've just been told by somebody else who does many podcasts that, uh, the Scarborough dude, my former person persona, tells the same stories. Has told some of the same stories three hundred or four hundred times. Well, that is an exaggeration. I only put out five hundred podcasts. However, uh, many people will have heard these bits and pieces. But uh, hopefully, I'm attracting a few new listeners, and you won't mind. He said, "This other gun is a little more, little more important. It belonged to," and he said, Sergeant Billydo. And I don't know who that was or what his connection was. Uh, He did grow up in Chambly and he had friends there in Chambly and Richelieu, Quebec. And apparently this rifle belonged to somebody who had gone over with a group of soldiers who were basically sacrificed at the start of World War II, 1941, sent to defend Singapore against the Japanese and Hong Kong. Uh, And, of course, they didn't have a chance. And within days, they were just all taken prisoner. Those who didn't die treated horrifically. Many died (coughs) during their captivity. Um, And uh, that's the story. Supposedly, this gun had gone over with this Sergeant Billy Do. I don't know what happened to him. And, again, maybe that's something else I should do a little research on. I know... Uh, people with a little more focus than me and a little more disciplined would make notes and do some research and then say, okay, this is what I'm going to talk about on my next podcast. Here are my notes I'll go through. I choose deliberately not to do it that way. I find, for myself anyway, I think a little more truth and authenticity comes out when I just sort of own up to my ignorance, let things come out as they do. And uh, maybe on the receiver end, I don't know if it's disappointing that, hey, couldn't you have given me more precise details? Um, well, I think there are plenty of podcasts that do that, and uh, this is not one of them. Anyway, it turned out we got neither of the guns, nor did we get He had a beautiful, beautiful twenty two automatic, uh, you know, with the clip and a, and a hand tool leather holster he had got, I think, from somebody in Malone. We used to visit a place in Malone, New York. We lived in Valleyfield. It was very close to the New York border. And uh, on weekends with a couple of other families, uh, the Langs and the Vaudries, uh, the families would drive to Lake Meacham. And they'd sort of dump the kids on the women, and the men would race into town to get beer, and they'd probably stop at a bar. And uh, somehow, I'm pretty sure, they just got went to the beach to get loaded and drove home. Then uh, We're talking circa, well, 1950s anyway. Uh, I'm just thinking of Mad Men, because the last episode was on last night, and the way there were these double standards. It was up to the women to get hot dogs into the kids, and uh, the men did the driving, that was enough. And somehow they would drive back. Uh, anyway, Lake Meacham we'd go to, and then another place called Malone. And at that time, it was an actual town, so coming from a very small place of Valleyfield, going to Maloma it was a big deal. There were all kinds of things, I remember. You, we, we, As a treat, you'd go on the weekend, and uh, there was a place called the Altamont. I think that was at the Dairy Bar, where they served you ice cream banana split in a wooden trough. And my brother, the challenge was always, can you eat it? And if you did, they gave you a big pin to wear on your shirt, saying I was a pig at the Altamont Dairy Bar, and my brother would strive for that. It was a big deal. Uh, I never did. I was just a little kid. <laughs> uh, I wanted my uh, Tom Terrific comic from next door. Anyway, there was um, um, a hotel there. My father was good friends with the hotel owner, uh, and he had his whole display of guns and rifles on the walls of the hotel. This is a hotel bar lounge. And uh, I remember just going in And and you know how things, when you're a little kid Things are just so much bigger So I'm imagining this gigantic room Completely full of rifles And uh, anyway, he took us into the um, I I knew the man's name up to a certain point But it's gone now from memory He took us into The back room And uh, when he found out, I guess I was a coin collector, a stamp collector He gave me A special American, I believe it was, I don't know if it was a dollar bill or two dollar bill, but it was a, a misprint it did not have In God We Trust on the back. Maybe it was even a counterfeit bill. I doubt that. I think it was just a misprint, but it would have been a collectible. I still have it somewhere in my house. I have this bill given to me by that man. Oh... You know, I'm just rambling on, telling lots of little anecdotes. They don't really add up to a whole lot. and So I don't quite know the purpose of going on. So why don't why don't I do the magnet as well, since we're talking about my father? I don't have it in my hand right now. Um, it would have gone back to the 1950s as well. And I'm, I'm thinking, I know I had it when we were in Lachine, and we moved to Lachine in 1958. I'm thinking i might have had it as early as possibly grade three in valley field he was good friends with a man called tony gevermo who uh, had the only uh radio and television store in town and uh, my father was a as i said a ham radio operator and uh, just knew this stuff and tony was a good friend and he'd trade with and deal with and <coughs> so um I did mention my much of my father's ham radio equipment of course came off the uh, decommissioned corvettes at the end of World War II. And we even have a leather couch that would have been on one of those ships uh right now in my brother's basement. Huge heavy steel thing but uh, a pretty amazing thing that again was part of our childhood. Um so where were I? Tony gave... Oh yeah, so he gave me this magnet and in my memory, it was a, a magnet from a television set. I guess you needed. I don't know, at the end of the the tube or whatever. I don't know why. Again, yes, yeah, somebody could look it up. Why do you need magnets and television? Or did you back then? I'm sure you don't have them now. Uh, <laughs> there'd be no room for something this thick. It had two parts, two stages. It was solid steel, I guess. And there was a little smaller one on top. The reason I loved it, it was it could out-magnet anybody's magnet. It was the strongest magnet and it could just pick things up. And when you're a kid a simple thing like a magnet is a big deal. And I guess the fact that my dad gave me the strongest magnet in the whole school was uh, was a big deal. It was something I loved and, and I love the fact that like my baseball glove I talked about, my mitt, a few episodes ago, I still have the magnet. The little top half is gone somewhere uh, and maybe this even happened. Maybe it, I even got it this way. It fell, and, a, and some of the steel was chipped off. And it makes it gives it all the more character to it. You can see this raw steel, metal, whatever it was. However, it was made. Um, and today, of course, I had it in my hand. There is a, a picture, and I guess I'll post that picture rather than why would I post a picture of a passport? Yeah, so I'll post a picture of the uh, magnet which. Okay, okay, just so you feel better, I'm looking at it right now. There it is, that beautiful magnet. Uh it works. I stuck it over an ashtray and clink, up came the ashtray. I mentioned, probably last, I think I mentioned the bullet he also gave me, that um, I did lose and how bad I felt that. I don't know, maybe that was on a Dixon Jeans episode, the other little gift from my father, this, the lead head of a bullet that, um, his story was it shot a bear, hit him in the head, then the bullet was flattened on one side and that he would never, uh, never kill an animal again after that one. And he gave that to me, I I think as a lesson to a kid, you know, it's, it's, there was a message. Here's a bullet. Well, how many kids got bullets from their dads? You know, I mean, this is not live. This is the lead. This is a bullet with a story. He used to go away to, uh, to a camp with his, uh, basically, what, who we called Uncle Charlie, who was just a good friend of the, f- lifelong friend of the family, who I loved. Uncle Charlie is the one who took me to Mossport to see the, uh, the Grand Prix races, Mossport racetrack. Um, and we all loved very much Uncle Charlie. Um, and it was a character, a comedian, but they were all drinkers and, uh, they just, they played, they had fun. Anyway, one of them had a camp, uh, we never got to go up to, but they'd take the rifles up and just do some shooting and so on. So whether or not they actually did hunt, whether or not that's a true story or just a lesson you wanted to do, pass on to me as a, as a, a pacifist. And I think this ties back into World War Two. uh, whatever happened, I think my father was a very gentle man. I did tell the story about one other item, which uh, wasn't given to us, but the, uh, the garret, the thing that you see in war movies with the two rings in the end and like a razor barbed wire, that he would just come up behind somebody and uh, pull these two th- things and, uh, you know, rip their throat open. And his standing in the driveway, uh, you know, we're talking, I was in university, I guess, by then. Uh, with a pair of wire cutters and saying, this is wicked. And cutting it up into little pieces so that nobody would have it. Nobody was going to have that souvenir. And disposing of it. And why he would have that. Gee, story things of my father's. This is getting fun. The blackjack. This was, a uh, all leather, uh, thing, I guess it was about a foot long with, I guess they probably lead weights in the end of it. It was a spring loaded, wrapped in leather, and then lead or something at the end, very heavy, that if you just tapped it into the palm of your hand, it hurt. And, uh, we got hold of it again. I do not know what happened to that. Uh, I guess when they moved, he would have got rid of it. I know my father, my brother and I would try it out. And you could hit the, um, what do you call it, on the basement wall, um. Can't think of the word, you know, that you put up anyway. You'd hit that, and boom, it, it would shatter, it would just make a dent in the wall. And uh, his story there was he was given that by the uh, Valleyfield police for protection when um, the union thugs forgive my unionist friends out there were uh, organizing strikes. This was during the time of the building of the St. Lawrence Seaway. My father was manager of Camp Three where they were doing the dredging in Lake St. Louis as part of the uh, St. Lawrence Seaway project, which, as you know, was completed in 1958, so this would have been sometime before then. apparently he would be, as a manager, uh, sometimes followed home. He claims he was followed home, chased home in cars by people, just wanting to intimidate or whatever, I guess. I I don't know the whole story, but... um, Apparently this was his. That was when we were still living in Valleyfield. He used to be able to uh, go over to the police station and uh, practice shooting in their basement, their shooting gallery. So lots of things about my father that are very, very different uh, from who I am, as uh, as you no know, doubt have already pieced together, but uh, I miss him and I really wish he was around today so I could ask him some of these questions and uh, talk a little more and share with and uh but that's that's life and sadly my two children will never know they they met him uh briefly but not enough to uh, have a very close relationship i do have some wonderful photos of my dad with my sons and that means something to me that he did see me finally his son his lazy son was able to go over to Japan, straighten out, get married, get a good job, have a family. Thank God he uh, saw all of that before he, uh, he died of a heart attack. All right, I think I'm going to leave it there. I've gone on for quite some time and uh, don't even know what I'll call this one. Memory lane? I don't know. Lost memories? Who knows? But uh, stay tuned. I will be back next week. Thanks for listening.
1: Some men admit to mistakes they never made so that they might look humble And other men, they never cop to nothing ever I sit somewhere in the middle Let me answer the charges against me Let this verse be my redemption And I'm innocent, don't you see how all creation Bends its needle on me Because I am the king of good intentions That's why these black flakes of memory fall Black flakes of memory fall Black flakes of memory fall I am dancing between them Yeah, no more talk about no mystical connection No more talk of souls No more talk about our spiritual affection I am done with that, I am done with that Dream. Picture you were using razor blades. Me, I am dreaming of tornadoes and twisters. I am dreaming of tidal waves. That's why these black flags of memory fall. Black flags of memory fall. anybody's pain lightly and I never ever never ever ask no one nowhere to